Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar, as the prophecy was once recast with plucky teenagers. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm the fattest nickel ever. Broadcaster, are you ready for lament configuration? Ellis, if we can exchange one pleasure for another... (laughs) So well, Hellraiser Nine is what this is. Even though is it really? Yeah, it's essentially a reboot, but it's also a sequel to Hellraiser Two. So it's very murky, very murky waters with this movie. Uh, but that being said, I'll start this off with a something from the man Doug Bradley himself, the original Pinhead. He said that he was blown away by the female pinhead in this movie, and he specifically called on the keyhole locket that's on her throat, which I also thought was pretty cool, uh, and the shimmer on the pins on her head, which I that kind of captivated me. I, I feel like when I saw that, that was when I realized this movie was different than the other six schlocky sequels that I've been forced to watch over the years. Yeah. Are you – well – I mean, I'm not a Hellraiser connoisseur. I've seen one, two, and then this one. And you've seen Hell on Earth. You had, dude. I know you've. Seen I know Hell I've Earth. seen it, but it's like it's so fuzzy in my head. <laughs> I don't like. I barely like. But anyway, like it's like it's like Bloodline Jason too. It's, it's like Jason X. I did see a little bit of Bloodline, but I hated it. Remember, we talked about yeah, it. I, was, I yeah, immediately yeah. called it schlocky, and I was like, "This is this gore porn," and I hate gore porn. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I fucking agree. hate yeah. shit. I agree. It, it was it was like uh, I feel like Bloodline was right around when Event Horizon came out, and then also uh, Jason in space. Like there was this weird Jason trend. X. Yeah, 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 there's this weird trend of putting like fucking supernatural horror movie villains in horror space. movies. T- yeah, horror <laughs> movies took a hard L in that era. Hard L. <laughs> but but um, yeah, what was I say? Uh, yeah, I'm not a connoisseur of any any kind for Hellraiser, but immediately when I saw the trailer for this, when we first were saying we we're going to review it, I could tell the set, like the just the camera work and the sets. In the Cenobite shown were leagues apart from the schlock from the last like what five years at least. Yeah, yeah. So the last the last Hellraiser movie that came before this new one was okay. It wasn't special, but it wasn't bad either. Like it was a fun watch. Like when I finished, I was like, yeah, that was you know, I don't regret it. Uh, the three before that though were really bad, and, and there was one that was like uh, based on social media, and it was the cringiest shit. I, mean, I don't remember if it was seven or six, but it was one of those, and it was so effing cringe. <laughs> so we've come a long way with this new Hellraiser movie because this is uh, much more in line with the original trilogy, much more. Yeah, it's. It's always refreshing. I mean, again, I'm not like, I don't know a whole fuck ton about 
this series IP, but it's good to see a return to form. I don't even know what the form really is. Yeah, but well, from my childhood when I watched one and two, I'll tell you what the form this is. is the, this is good. This is this is not just your typical torture porn, gore porn, cheap CGI. It actually had a pretty cool story, like Roland Voigt become like you know somehow having some weird obsession with the Cenobites in the beginning like in his mansion with the like the riddle box shape like there's like set pieces that really if even if you weren't it, it almost seemed like a real reboot now that I'm now I'm saying this out loud because mm-hmm. it, like you saw things that would intrigue you to actually want to know more about Hellraiser as a series and I haven't felt that since I watched the original one you know as a kid you know, just seeing Roland Voigt's ceiling with hmm. the puzzle box shape. Yeah. You're like, well, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, in a way, in a way, this new Hellraiser movie is sort of an amalgamation of Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3 combined. Yeah. There's aspects of all of the original trilogy in this movie. And uh, the, the description that you get for this movie is that it's a take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of the box, unaware of its purpose to summon the Cenobites. And if you think about it, that's essentially... I mean, that's not Christy, but... <laughs> no, but it's it's like, you can just feel in that short, but, you know, very poignant introduction that like it's really just saying hey this is just classic hellraiser we're doing classic this, yeah. there's no weird stupid stuff going on here there's no gimmicks this is just some hellraiser action uh, it was directed by david bruckner who i wasn't too familiar with he's done the one thing that i've seen him do was a horror movie called uh the, the ritual and it was this movie i told you about this is from 2017 i remember telling it about telling you about it when we first when i first watched it like telling you to watch it because it it had like some bloodborne vibes to it like basically these like hikers out in europe are like going on a boys trip hiking and they get lost in the woods and like some crazy cult shit happens and i essentially the monster in the ritual is the cleric beast from bloodborne it it's super tight. It was a really cool little horror movie. And he did that as well. But that's mm. all I really know him from. So he's kind of a low-key dude. But more importantly, Clive Barker was a pr- executive producer on this movie. So you can feel that influence too. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just looking at this ritual movie. I just- this looks familiar. I feel like I started watching it maybe and then I never finished it. Yeah, it's it's possible. Uh it it kind of starts a little slow, but yeah, once once it starts yeah. getting into it, you're just like, "Oh shit." Like it, it has some really cool stuff at towards the end. But That's uh interesting. so he's so he's had nothing to do with the Hellraiser series up until now. No, no. He just kind I don't know if how it happened but he just kind of took over the reins and i mean based off of this movie i think he should keep the reins for a while because i mean overall i don't know about you but i liked this movie a lot oh yeah it was good it was definitely i i I don't like horror that much nowadays i'm more of a horror survival horror game guy 
you know, not so much movies, but because uh, I just, you know, I feel, I feel like I've said this three or four times already now, but I'm just not into that fucking torture gore point. Like even in certain parts yeah. of the movie where people's flesh is getting ripped up, you know, like I kind of my body just tenses up on those moments because I just I can't my brain can't separate, you know, like the idea of that happening to me at the exact moment I'm mm-hmm. watching it, you know, and I'm just like, God damn it. I can't mm-hmm. just keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm exactly <laughs> like you. I don't watch gore porn. I'm a huge horror movie person, but I, as soon as I get an inkling that this is gore porn, I, I tap out and I stop watching them. Like the greatest example for me was, uh, the jigsaw. What was the, the movie with jigsaw? Saw. Saw that I remember when I watched the first saw, I never watched another one because as soon as I started watching, I'm like, this is gore porn. This is, and it's only going to get worse from here. The first one, my departure. Yeah. The first one had an interesting story, an interesting premise, but I instinctually knew that any future sequels to it was just going to be straight up gore porn. And I'm pretty sure I was correct about that based on conversations I've had with other people that continued to watch the saw movies. I'm not into that. I know you're not into that. That's why we've never really reviewed any gore porn on this podcast. All the scary movies we've reviewed are pretty much specifically in the line of just like fear based, not gore based. And that is what I'll raise gets. I mean, it gets, there's definitely moments where, you know, I would definitely consider it that, but it doesn't overuse it. It's not, especially, yeah, especially for a series where like the Cenobites, well, are the Cenobites, you know, you'd think they'd have this excuse to go over the top. And I really liked their, their playful way with it mm-hmm. because they allowed them to like, actually like all like sh- like the intrigue on the puzzle box in this movie was really cool. Yes. You know, seeing all the shapes, seeing, you know, and that is something uh, for, that is something straight from Clive Barker's influence, by the way. Yeah, there's a few sure. aspects of this movie that you if you've uh, read the original Hellbound Heart and you've, you're you kind of in the know with Clive Barker's version of Hellraiser. There's a few parts of this movie where you're like, that was Clive. That was Clive. And the and all the configurations on the puzzle box. That was Clive straight yeah. up. And yeah, it, it was it was good. And. I want to talk more in depth about the exact configurations because they're, I really liked the sort of um, the symbolism. I don't want to talk about it yet because we're not in spoilers, but there's specific symbolism in certain, certain configurations that I thought was really cool and almost sort of biblical. But uh, yeah, what what do you think overall about like the CG in this movie because one problem Ooh, that's a good question. with these older Hellraiser or not older, like these previous Hellraisers that are schlocky and B movies, like the the fives and the sixes and the sevens and the even the eights a little bit, although I think eight kind of re- reined it in a little bit, but those ones kind of either used almost no CG or the CG they did use was god awful and this series wasn't really known for great CG. Uh, being someone that hasn't watched a Hellraiser since the OG days, what was your interpretation of the CG usage in this movie? I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty tasteful. I think the only thing that really stuck out to me is poor CGI were some of the chains. Like when the chains come out off screen in or into frame, you know, mm-hmm. out of nowhere. 
some of those scenes looked pretty iffy. And then towards one of the ending scenes when someone's being, you know, you uh, know, lifted up, <laughs> uh, let's just say there is this uh, continuous brick gray stone pattern thing trying to represent like a wet, like a deep hole beneath him. And uh, it just it, oh. it, it didn't look high. It didn't look high budget. Let's just say that. You know, it's <laughs> and, funny. I forgot about that. But now that you mention it, I remember thinking the same thing on that specific yeah. one with the well. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was very. So those couple scenes. But then there were. Used to, you bring up them not having, you know, a lot of CG, but on the opposite side of the coin, the practical effects in this movie in particular Great were amazing yeah. the the cenobites practical effects were amazing some of the uh i don't know if it was an animatronics or like because one of those cenobites the biting cenobite yeah I, the like biter. he was awesome like that couldn't have been a real human doing that it just didn't look right so like i thought it was like a prosthetic mechanical mask of some kind that the actor was wearing and as it's like that's fucking that was really good. Like, I'd like to see that level of prosthetic mastery in like a Resident Evil movie. Yeah. You know, like, because I instantly saw that. I was like, that's like a Resident Evil creature, like a liquor mm -hmm. or like, you know, something like that. And it... so, well, it's anyways, interesting I'm you say going that off on tangent a little bit, but because it, if you really, I feel like the Cenobites are kind of Resident Evil creatures a little bit. Oh, the, for sure. The, well, it's the other the way original, around. It's the, the other way around, really. <laughs> it, it, totally. But, like, the way that the Cenobites are described in literature makes them sound more like Resident Evil type stuff than it does the stuff you see in the movies. I feel like the original movie sort of set this precedent. And I, I mean, obviously, I watched the movies way before I read Hellbound Heart. I, I feel like if I never saw the movies and I only read Hellbound Heart and other literature, I would have much more thought of them as like Resident Evil type creatures than what we know them as now through the movies. So it's interesting you said that. I kind of uh, think you might be onto something there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, before we get into spoilers, I have, I have a few questions for you. Um, as you know, this new Hellraiser reboot is on Hulu and Hulu is owned by Disney. So my question to you, broadcaster Nichols is the hell priest, a Disney princess go. Uh, I think she might be on the, uh, <laughs> processing list. <laughs> Wait into like a death camp. What do you mean? Processing list. You said it, not me. <laughs> I think Disney owns too much now. I think the list for D Disney Princess application is uh, pretty long. Yeah. It's not what it used to be, you know? You just can't get drawn or live in the Disney world. You got to be BIPOC and uh, gender fluid, possibly. Yeah. Well, that, a couple other things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There is this really Sorry. shitty, really shitty. Oh, priest, you're fired. <laughs> there was this really shitty TV show um, back in the day called Sense8 that was made by the Wachowski 
um, people. And oh, yeah. uh, she played a tranny on that show. And the person who plays the hell priest in this movie. And I remember when I watched Sensei and, and Sensei came out before like wokeness took over. So like, I wasn't as like repulsed by it. Like I, I, I didn't, I wasn't like a tranny lover or anything, but it, it hadn't like annoyed me to the point where I just didn't want to hear anything about it anymore. So like I was open to it back then. I was much more like, eh, okay, whatever. There's a tranny in the show. Okay, cool. I remember when, when I'd look at her and I'd be like, that's not a tranny. And it kind of broke the whole thing they were trying to do with the show, like to show like a transgender character. I remember looking at her like, that is a, that is a woman with, with a vagina. <laughs> like there's no fucking way that is a transgendered man or like a man per- transgendering into a woman. There's no chance in hell. And I, you know, at one point I found out that yes, that was definitely a female playing a tranny. And it just kind of cracks me up that I haven't heard of her or seen her since until she became the goddamn hell priest. And it just kind of feels apropos a little bit. Like she played, she played the tranny and sensate and then she's reborn <laughs> through the abyss, through Leviathan and becomes the hell priest. You know, first thing I was like, where's he going with this? <laughs> it, there's just something about it that I enjoyed. Like, cause I, I could just recognize her instantly. As soon as I saw her, saw the female pinhead, I'm like, I know who that is. And I looked up who it is. I'm like, oh, it's her, you know? And I'm just like sitting there like watching this movie like, yes, this works. Like it just for some reason, it makes her work better as the female elf priest to me. I can't really explain it per se. But uh, I guess this all leads to me saying I liked Jamie Clayton as the female uh, hell priest. Uh, there was a lot of uproar when this first got announced that, you know, we weren't going to have our boy back, the original Pinhead, and people were kind of pissed that a girl was going to take over. And it's like, not my Pinhead, you know. Not my hashtag, not my Pinhead. <laughs> but I really have to say she fucking nailed it. She was fucking awesome in this movie. I loved every scene with the Hell Priest, every single one. Yeah, and it's total. Let's let's be real here, guys. It's take makes a lot more sense that the Cenobites are all female. It does, I mean, doesn't it? Let's be real here, guys. Yeah. Let's keep it one hundred, as the kids would say. Yeah. <laughs> no, no brothers be doing that to each other. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you have any other like non-spoiler thoughts on the movie before we get to spoilers? Music, direction, lighting. You know, any of the generic music stuff. wasn't I, I can't really knock too much on that, like on two, uh, like it stood out as bad, like, but I did not notice the music. It was simple <laughs> now that you, yeah. when you at when you asked about it, I was like, shit, I don't even remember a goddamn track. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, very on the down, though, with the music. But uh, uh, one thing I'll point out is the direction of David Bruckner. Specifically, I I think the direction was great overall, but there's a few scenes early on that I really liked. First, when the main character, um, let's just say something happens and she starts spinning 
on a carousel. And you see the camera from her eyeballs. Like the camera is literally attached to her eyes and she's spinning. And as she's spinning, it shows certain images come into frame and out of frame very subliminally. And then there's also a scene right next to that in a bathroom where some things go down. And uh, I just thought that there was some real creative shots in this movie. Like nothing really felt phoned into me. Maybe towards the very end, there was a little bit, but like, especially in the beginning, I thought this was very like purposefully crafted. Like there was no filler scenes and every scene kind of had this purpose to it. And it was, there's just a lot of great shots in this movie. Yeah, I think that's the best thing it had going for it, to be honest. The cinematography and, like, the just the direction of all the scenes were really well... They were well over anyone's expectations for a budget movie like a Hellraiser reboot, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what really surprised me. Like, it kind of had... The movie had that old school 1980s feel to me almost because it's a bunch of no namers, you know, which I love. I, I'm, I'm but glad everyone, they went that way. Yeah, and but like they didn't. There was no uh, over exhausted purpose in the movie to try to flesh out these characters too much. Like they all kind they weren't shallow. Well, some of them were a little shallow to the point where you wouldn't care about them, but that's okay. Like the the movie just had just enough depth to these no namers to kind of give it that, you know, that old school feel where Mm -hmm. it was more about the atmosphere and like the actual, well, in this case for Hellraiser, like the villains, the Cenobites and the set. And like we said before, the Cenobites were so well done. So see, like, they were they were probably the highlight of the movie, honestly. Yeah. So I for sure, for sure. So I yeah, I, I would have to agree. Like the best thing this movie has going for it is the actual direction and and atmosphere and cinematography. Like it just the visual work in this movie, the sets in this movie, like those little moments where it's like the POV on the merry-go-round and you're seeing a Cenobite for the very first time. Uh like it's really well done. It, like that scene in particular you were talking about kind of reminded me of the, the way the direction of uh, Mandy was. Yes. You great. Know, where you, Dude, that's where a you great just relate. see these totally. Yeah. You have, you just see these like kind of fog, like dark foggy horizons with mists, you know, and like figures, like not a lot of dialogue, you know, the, it, it was, had a very similar um, approach to it. And I, yeah, I I really like those scenes. And I think that's the main reason I really like this movie. Indeed. Um, So Serbia, they filmed in Serbia and the United States. (laughs) So what do you think was Serbia? Do you think it was that mansion that takes, that happens towards the end? Like the second half of the movie basically takes place at this like crazy mansion do you think that yeah. was Serbia, or do you think the stuff before was Serbia in the beginning? Well, to be honest, uh, I'm really surprised you said it was filmed in Serbia. I thought that was uh, just drone footage or something like that, like stock footage they got from Serbia just to make it look like they were in that area. But 
there's only like there's the scene where they literally say they're in Serbia showing all those apartment be- buildings with a uh, what's her name that worked for Roland mm-hmm. picking up the puzzle box and then the mansion itself so yeah that really really that really surprises me they actually went to go film in Serbia just just for that yeah well they they filmed uh, the uh, masterpiece my son hunter in Serbia too so I think of Serbia is like, a, I think Serbia is. Sorry, like a guys, hotbed. the review is still coming. <laughs> I think Serbia is like a hotbed right now for um, filming movies. For some reason, they must get really good like tax write-offs or rates or something. I don't know how it works, but yeah. seeing a lot of films going to Serbia all of a sudden. In fact, I think didn't Moon Knight film in Serbia too? I think Moon Knight did. I don't know. I could be making that up. Anyway, broadcaster, uh, before we get to spoilers, just uh, you know, thumbs down, thumbs up. You know, what do you what do you tell the people that are about to turn this off because they haven't seen the movie yet? What's your final closing argument and suggestion? I give it four thummies. <laughs> four thummies. All right. Four out of five thummies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That seems like an anagram for something that might be coming later in the podcast. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> uh, I think 4. this is point the, five thummies. <laughs> I think this is the best horror movie of 2022. Um, I think, it's a hard, it's a hard title to give since we don't review. Horror well, movies. I'm talking personally because I watch way more horror movies than we ever talk about on this podcast. Oh, okay. For yeah. me, I, I think I watched maybe eight horror movies this year, maybe eight to 10, somewhere in there. This is the best one. In my opinion, there are a few other good ones that are close, but I'm, I'm going to put this one at the top. And, uh, I think that if you are a former Hellraiser fan that fell off the boat, you know, for good reason in the middle there, it was rough, rough, rough seas. There was quite a storm that we were sailing, uh, come back. Because this Hellraiser movie is sort of the answer to what you've been wanting since Hellraiser 2, in my opinion. Uh, that being said, are you ready to get into some spoilers? Hallelujah. All right, broadcaster. This movie starts with a party by the uh, hedonistic millionaire you were mentioning earlier named Roland Voigt in the mansion that we later find the movie takes place in mostly towards the end. Uh, but before that, we get this little intro scene where uh, we get this prostitute who finds the puzzle box. And uh, <laughs> that's what he was, right? He was a, he's a male guy. He's a gigolo. Say, you know, male he's gigolo. like something. I was, he seemed really nervous to be a prostitute, though. I was like, he was in a swinger party. I was like, his first time. Well, <laughs> I mean, you if you're if you're a male prostitute and you're going to like George Soros's house, you in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking probably think you're going to get stabbed with the puzzle box, ritual sacrifice, sacrifice right? Yeah, Which yeah, is no exactly what fucking happens. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Voice he's like, kind of dumb about it, though. Let's be real. Well, it's interesting because he starts to do it by himself and then he kind of stops and then Voight's like, no, you've solved Almost that box. finished. Go ahead. <laughs> and <laughs> he's yeah. like, is there a prize? My prize. <laughs> it's like at that point, I'd put it down and be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, something happens that happens quite often throughout this movie, and uh, that is a little little fucking shiv pops out of the box and stabs <laughs> the person. Shiv. And uh, yeah, the puzzle box stabbing people now. <laughs> it, it, I don't know, like. It's kind of reminded me of like Aqua Teen Hunger Force a little bit. The way this little knife came out of the box and just like <laughs> stabbed people. It, it seemed like it would be something you'd see in Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Just a, a little kind of cartoony and goofy. And then like the blade would just go away like it was never there. Uh, My dad owns a dealership. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a portal opens and chains, you know, the CG chains that broadcaster Nichols was talking about earlier come out and, you know, they they rip him apart as per usual with. <laughs> that one was chains. the most like on display chain attack too mm-hmm. like they just like had him sitting in the background just slowly getting pulled apart while <laughs> Roland's just like yo Leviathan what's up <laughs> Roland's like getting some fucking uh, some fucking hand lotion in the back room like yeah <laughs> so what do you think about this opening scene that was dope yeah. I think it was it was a cool scene it really set up the pace of the movie you know yeah. and uh wasn't didn't have like any of those you know immediate standout moments where you're just like I'm gonna turn this off in ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it had like an eyes wide shut vibe with the party kind of the sex yeah, party for a little sure. bit. Yeah, yeah. And I also one thing I really like about it in retrospect, not so much when I first watched it, but in retrospect it's the only time in the movie you see the mansion before it's abandoned. So like the rest of the movie where you see this mansion, it's just like this decrepit abandoned estate. But in this scene, it's like alive and active and there's like hundreds of people there and it's like in total, you know, working condition. So it's kind of cool to see it like that before you see it as a haunted house later in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love how they like, the mansion slowly becomes the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh <laughs> yeah. The the hidden hallways behind the walls where fucking uh our boy Voight was hiding. <laughs> like fucking that's like a whole other horror film, dude. It is, dude. I this that's <laughs> the thing about this is most of the like the shitty Hellraiser movies that have kind of taken place in the middle you know, like the fives, the sixes, and the sevens, they've all been one-dimensional, horribly written, and just, like, nothing there, other than, like, the main point, which is a nothing point to begin with. This movie is more like an onion. There's layers to it, and that was one of the layers I liked the most, the man behind the walls, the monster behind the walls. You accidentally hit the the secret trap door, and there's a fucking monster hiding in the house. Like, that's a cool thing. And then when you actually see what he is... Dude, that fucking mechanical contraption through his chest that randomly pulls his fucking, uh, his, uh, not his like arteries, nerves his nerves, dude. Dude, yeah. that, that is so Hellraiser. Like, that is the most Hellraiser thing I've seen in any Hellraiser movie, including the originals. Yeah, dude, I, it was fucking I, brutal. I gotta give him credit for that. I'm just like, and like, it, when you first see it, you're like, what the fuck is that? Because you don't really know what it is, but then towards the end, like, he kind of, like, tells you what it is, and you see it in action, and you're just like, oh, my God. 
God, dude, that is some shit. Loved that. Uh, but taking a step back, uh, after the intro, there's a six-year time skip. And we meet Riley, the new Kirsty. Not Christy. Uh, not, no, no. She never will be. I thought she was okay, though. Not... Kind of a fucking dumb bitch. <laughs> she... I, th- I thought she was like a Christy's dumb bitch. kind of a dumb bitch too, though. Well, I mean, all horror movie girls are kind of dumb bitches, if we're being honest. Uh, that's sort of what they're supposed to be here, at least in the traditional sense. I know that's I'm probably tired of your games, Christy. And, you know that, that that might be one of the reasons modern horror sucks so much because you're not allowed to depict women like that anymore. So maybe you know there might be a little secret sauce in that aspect of old horror movies. Uh, but you know. I'm just going to take my misogynist opinions and keep them to myself. Uh, misogyny alert. Misogyny alert. Misogyny alert. Um, the more interesting thing, though, is her boyfriend, Trevor, who, um, by the way, I, I we didn't talk. I really wanted to mention this in the non-spoiler section without spoiling it, but with the, just kind of shouting it out. There is a legitimate twist in this movie. And it's the boyfriend being the fucking the architect. Now, what did you think about this? Because I did not see that coming till the end. Like there was like right before his acting is so shitty. It's why you didn't suspect. Maybe, maybe. But like like through the whole arc of this movie, I did not suspect him being in on it till just a few minutes before it was revealed that he was in on it. Like there's one scene before you find out where it kind of gives you a hint. Like he kind of like he's on his deathbed and she's like trying to do something that was going to like expose him. And he's like, no, don't do that. You know what I'm talking about? You remember that scene? Yeah. yeah. That was when I was like, oh, shit, he's in on this shit. But like before that, I had no fucking idea. And I thought that was pretty cool because most horror movies don't have good twists anymore. It's just not it's not something you see very often in modern horror. Yeah, I wouldn't know. See, so, so you you thought that he was in on it from the beginning. When did you realize he was in on it? I never suspected him to be honest. Okay, I had the okay. whole so my whole the whole time the whole time I I kept on seeing him in the movie. I was just like, God, this guy's acting is like terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe I was too fixated on that. I never saw it coming. Yeah. Well, like the first time we really see them together, he's convincing her to break into this fucking like self-storage place that has like a a safe within a safe. And she finds the puzzle box inside. And uh, that I feel like that scene, maybe I should have realized he was in on it in retrospect, but I didn't. I didn't at all. So like it It does seem super sus thinking about it. Yeah, (laughs) but they got me. So like (laughs) they definitely got me. I, I didn't suspect it. Um. But yeah, so uh, she solves the box, but she doesn't get cut by the blade. Um, and fucking the Cenobites make their first appearance, and they demand she chooses another sacrifice. Yeah. She's like, "Bitch, that blade was for you." <laughs> I love. I love this part of the movie because it sort of establishes the Cenobites as a, not as monsters, you know what I mean? 
Like, there's a real lazy, easy way to kind of categorize Cenobites as just, oh, they're just, like, random demon monsters from hell, whatever. But this sort of, like, paints them in a much more, like, intellectual and sinister vibe, in my opinion, the way they go about this. Um, but, uh, uh, so Riley gets, goes and gets blackout drunk, or wait, no, she, she takes pills, and then yeah. drinks and gets blackout drunk. And this is where that scene with the uh, merry go merry go happens. And so basically it's like spinning and spinning around. And like one time it'll spin. There'll be nothing there. Spin again and you'll see the hell priest in the background as a shadow. They'll spin again and she'll be gone. That type of shit was all throughout this movie. And I loved it. Great. Just great cinematography and just great shots Nothing was really wasted in this movie. There were no points where I thought, oh, this is filler. Were there any parts where you were like, oh, this is filler? Because I never thought that watching this movie. No. I mean, it's two hours long. So a two hour long horror movie you would think would have some filler. That's kind of my point. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. Um, But anyway, uh, her. Her brother, right? Yeah, her brother shows up to try because you know he's like hers. Oh, she's back on the off the wagon. I gotta go rescue her, and he finds her, and she's passed out too much, and she just won't wake up. But then he picks up the box and it cuts him, and then he goes into the bathroom, and this is where that other scene I called out earlier happens. This I think is my favorite scene in the entire movie. The bathroom Cenobite reclamation scene is what I like to think of it as. (laughs) What did you think about this scene? I loved the way they shot it, the cinematography, and sort of, you know, we're both talking about how we don't like gore porn. Wasn't this like the perfect scene for people that are into this shit but aren't into gore porn? Because it wasn't really that gory, but it was super sinister and dark. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of the more gory scenes, I'd say, but... But it could have been way gorier. Like, yeah. You think it was... Uh, hmm, I don't know. I'd have to, I wouldn't think it's the goriest scene by far. No. I feel like there's a lot of no. more gory scenes in that movie. I think the only... Well, I think the only other gory scene... Because it wasn't a lot, but, like, I think when that chick gets her back ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a few, man. There's a few, <laughs> I think, that are a little bit hard, more hardcore, but, yeah. But yeah, either way, I think that was my favorite um, kill scene, I guess, um, of the movie. I really like mirror play. I like mirrors within mirrors and like that whole sort of like Pandora's box element to mirrors. And I like I like, I like the play. symbolism of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. So, yeah. What do you think about that whole seat that uh, I call that sequence a, you know, it's like basically the beginning of the movie post the intro. What did you think about that whole kind of sequence? I mean, it was it's a about like exactly when you mean sequence, you mean like just just from the the intro ending all the way to the end of the bathroom scene, basically with all like the 
meeting the characters, you know, with all the sort of building up, then the boyfriend going on the mission with her, and then her, you know, getting pissed off, going out and getting fucked up, and, you know, like, all that. Like, what did you think about that chunk of the movie? First, I mean, I wasn't really too, like, I, I it kind of made me hate, to, like, the the main character. She just didn't seem very likable, you know? Hmm. And, uh... It's like, well, this bitch is just like a drug addict, and she's slowly realizing this thing shivs people. She just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> she could be a little bit more vocal about it, but I—I I mean, it was good. You know, it's—I don't know if I'd say it's. Anything standing out is like groundbreaking to me. I watch a lot of horror movies, so yeah, yeah. But, other, I, mean, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Everything that happens pre Merry Go Ground, I was like, eh, like whatever on. But like the Merry Go Round and the bathroom sort of like saved that part of the movie for me. Like I loved those two parts. Those are those parts kind of back to back are what made me realize this was going to be a good movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, definitely when she starts passing out on the merry-go-rounds, when, you know, like when the worlds start colliding, you know, you start getting to see, like, the wall shift and the labyrinth slowly forming around. Like, that's that stuff was super cool to me. But mm-hmm. as far as, like, the substance of, like, you know, like I said in the beginning, the, the substance of the characters were, you know, just enough, you know? They just they didn't really intrigue me enough by themselves. But as plot devices, they were bearable, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, there's a couple things in this movie that I'm sure are just ESG score fucking point things, you know, for a fucking horror movie. I don't know why they'd be trying, but there's definitely equity afoot, <laughs> you know, like the only survivors being the gay black boyfriend and Riley, <laughs> you know, all the Cenobites mysteriously being females now. <laughs> like, you know, it just, there's definitely some things that typically I would look at in a movie and be like, oh God, well, like it's happening here too. Yeah. But there's definitely like no good guys that are white men in this movie, which is a trend in Hollywood. <laughs> Not yeah, a lot of good yeah. guy white men in the in those. Couldn't even be the villain either, though. It took our boy hell of a fucking pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I kind of agree with you. I cringed a little bit when in that when they first go to the apartment and they see the the brothers boyfriend like they're gay or whatever and it was just like okay it always has to be a gay boyfriend scene (laughs) it's just like it's weird because i grew up like not really caring about gay people or any sort of like identity politics so like it's not that i care about the gay guys being in the movie it's it's just like that it's so artificial and it's just like agenda based and it's thrown in your face on purpose like is just like this weird it's just this weird creeping thing that kind of ruins cinema and ruins video games or whatever else you want to throw it's okay in children they paid for their sins in the end <laughs> yeah. uh, many many have uh anyway after the uh 
after the the bathroom scene, there's a scene with the lawyer. Remember that scene? Uh, she she finds out the owner of the the warehouse that she robbed and finds the lawyer and the lawyer tries to like take the box out of her hands and oh then yes. it cuts him <laughs> and he gets he get takes a fat L from the Cenobites as well and that's what uh, leads to the mansion and from this point on the entire movie basically takes place at the mansion so yeah um. For better or for worse, the rest of the movie is in a very interesting mansion. What did you think about this mansion? Because I haven't seen a more interesting uh, domicile in a movie since, like, uh, maybe The House on Haunted Hill or... Uh, it did and, have that vibe, didn't it? Yeah, like, like, just like the cage thing that wraps around it and, it, and the way it's... Arc, the architecture of it, it was just, like, super, like, whoa... And different, like it wasn't like the standard shit you're used to. So I'll, I'll put that in the wind column for this movie. I I also like how everything in this movie is explained. So like at first you see that cage around the house, and you're just like, what in the fuck is that? What possible use is that? And then the movie explains what use for that is pretty quick. It's to keep the Cenobites out when shit goes wrong with the demonic sacrifice rituals. <laughs> I enjoyed that part of it. <laughs> Everything is explained in this movie. There's really no plot holes, but the Cenobites do open holes in the ground that leads straight into hell, which I liked. What'd you think about that? Like those, that the, the car chase scene? where? <laughs> yeah, dude, that was fucking dope. Oh man, it, it really was. Uh, the biter just like coming out of the ground and like the labyrinth beneath him just like upside down stairs and shit yeah yeah and and this this is the labyrinth this is the leviathan from hellraiser 2 straight up like there's no ifs ands or buts there's no interpretation if if you watch hellraiser 2 and then you watch this movie there you cannot say anything to the contrary so this is in my opinion a direct sequel to hellraiser 2 I don't think it's a reboot. I think it is a sequel to Hellraiser 2. And the confusing part about that is the female Cenobite, which is fine. Um, maybe they could explain that in a future movie, what happened to our, you know, Doug Bradley, our our boy. Maybe there's a reason for it. I don't know. But either way, like, if you really look at it, everything that happens and from this point crimes. on. <laughs> If you look at everything that happens from here on, it just drips of Hellraiser 2. And that yeah. is what made me truly fall in love with this movie. Because Hellraiser 2 is not only my favorite Hellraiser. It is, I mean, it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's up there with like the, the greats of the greats, in my opinion. I don't think much touches it. And to get a sequel, in my opinion, a, a movie that is a sequel to that... Um, 30 years later <laughs> is crazy to me. Like it's, it's so weird that I watched Hellraiser two when I was like 10 and now I'm almost 40 and I'm getting a sequel to it. It's, it's a bizarre feeling, but it's also really cool. It's just so, so unexpected. I would have never, ever expected to get another Hellraiser movie. Like, yeah, one of those again. things where I thought it was just dying. Like, I didn't think it was really going to get a, 
a reboot or a higher, a bigger budget ever. I thought it was just doomed to slowly whittle away. Nope. So thank you, Mickey Mouse. Pure, appreciate it. Uh, this makes up a little bit for Last Jedi, but not not fully. But you know, it takes a couple digits off the ledger. But uh, yeah, so uh, we find out once we are in the mansion. Um, that Riley does a little investigating and finds the journals. And this is another part of this movie I love, and it's very subliminal. And if you're not into the past of Hellraiser, you probably just gloss over this part and not give a fuck. But she finds a journal that shows the all of the configurations of the puzzle box with like this like this crazy lore attached to it that you just like wait a second clive 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 my boy (laughs) like this is yeah talk about shit dripping clive barker holy shit was this one so ah, we got the lauderant configuration and we have the liminal configuration and we have the lazarus configuration and then we have the leviathan configure configuration and then finally, we have the lament configuration. So each one of these is a choice. And it's like it like we're taking like the genie, like the sort of like Aladdin genie sort of storyline, turning it upside down and sending it straight to hell is sort of how I look at this. So like each one of these options are what you get to choose when you meet with Leviathan. And all of these options have like this sort of like, oh, uh, knowledge, it's going to make me the smartest man in the world, uh, which would be lore. But instead you get like this, um, not Twilight Zone, what is the show I'm thinking of? Tales from the Crypt. You get like sort of this Tales from the Crypt sort of alteration to your wish that fucking damns you to hell in a way that you didn't expect. And I love that. I I love the attention to detail we got with the puzzle box in this movie. Because let's be honest, Doug Bradley, Pinhead, he's I love him. He's great. But the real star of Hellraiser has been and always will be the fucking puzzle box. And we got a true, truly, we got a true movie dedication to the puzzle box itself in this movie. I love that. Yeah, they definitely fleshed it out more. It was it was really cool to see them actually like like you said those options. Like you ne- like in the beginning of the movies it was just like literally this plot device that brought the Cenobites, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it, there was no like actual like seemed like biblical lord. I mean Hellraiser 2 kind of brought that in with the Leviathan and stuff like that, but it still it didn't react like that. Mm-hmm. That was super cool. I, is that stuff part of like the book you were talking yes, about? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> that that's the thing. Like when you see this, you're just like, oh my god, there's no chance Clive Barker isn't involved in this movie. Like, there's no way some random dudes are gonna put this shit in. There's just no way. So he, he made an impact as an executive producer. I don't think a lot of executive producers of anything make a huge impact. It's usually sort of just like a ceremonial title in this case. I think that Clive Barker has taken the power of the executive producer to the lament configuration. If, if the you will. lament configuration. <laughs> uh, but 
but yeah anyway um so so yeah uh then we get into the like the sort of like monster in the walls part of the movie um trevor is dying and he got bit by the biter yeah and <laughs> we find the guy in the walls on accident when the the chick is just pressing you know light switches and shit <laughs> she gets fucking stabbed by the star of David dude <laughs> <laughs> uh just one more thing I want to touch back on uh that I kind of forgot about with the car chase scene um I really liked the fact that the scene ends. I mean, like the whole car chase scene was amazing, right? Like, do you agree? Like from beginning to end, it was just an amazing part of the movie. Yeah, it was awesome. Like you have like the, like the ground collapsing into hell behind the car and you have the chick that got um, sliced in the backseat dying. And like from her vision, she starts to see the van tear itself apart and become Leviathan become the, yeah, that was super cool. Dude, that was sick. And, and then at the end we have, uh, the main character, uh, Riley try and take the box and throw it off like the bridge or whatever. And then the fucking, uh, the female Cenobite shows up or, yeah. The, the hell priest. They're all female Cenobites now. I forget this. Uh, and she's like, no, we want more from you, Riley. <laughs> like that, that scene, I loved that. And I love the fact that she, she sort of like bought it a little bit. Did you feel like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. No doubt. She's like, that was a moment of realization where this. The choices have to be made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and by the way, um, the the chick that died in the back of the car, Nora. I think that she probably has the most gory death scene in the movie. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty uh, gnarly one. But but anyway, yeah, I, I loved the way that the Helpry shows up and she says, "Oh no, 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 no. We have plans for you. Don't you want to bring your brother back to life?" Yeah. <laughs> and she tells, "Only two more. Only two more you got to kill." <laughs> and she buys it and she goes and I'm just like, "Oh, that is so good. It's so sinister." Again, just great great writing, great story in this movie. It's 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 just good. And you get to this point and she her her uh, boyfriend, as you noted, took a took a hit from the biter, and they're behind this fence, and uh, they're about they they're like basically facing death, and you see her next to the boyfriend, and she's sitting there looking at him, and you're like, oh, she's about to mark him, she's about to kill her boyfriend, and you're just like, oh fuck, this is getting good, but instead she uses it against the biter. And, like, I'm just sitting there like, wait a second, what? And it works. And you see the hell priest sort of looking in the background like, that bitch, she she figured out a loophole. (laughs) Again, just great writing. I feel like this movie, other than the the sort of that lull in the beginning after the intro, just has great writing all the way through. Yeah, I mean, personally, that 
that scene like kind of came off gimmicky to me. I was just like, well, the fucking Cenobites are the servants of the Leviathan. I don't get it. Why would we fucking allow a Cenobite to get marked? Well, it's <laughs> it it's sort of like, I, I mean, okay, I, I kind of see where you're coming from with that, but it's almost like the devils do, you know what I mean? Like, um, true devils, true dark side demon type characters, they're evil, but they still play by rules and they kind of depend on the, their marks, not knowing the rules. So yeah. if you think about it, you would never in a million years think after the, the hell priest told you, you have to sacrifice two more humans. Although she didn't say humans, she, but, but you kind of get that implication. You would never think I can mark one of her own demon pets instead. And the fact that she did that and it worked, I just thought was like super, original and surprising and i didn't see it coming a mile away did you would you have ever guessed that was going to happen no. it makes me think that bitch's days are numbered for the next one that they're going to do which might get fucking marked mm-hmm. if she comes back for a second movie yeah and then the real penhead comes yeah yeah yep and uh yeah so we find uh, our boy with the the vein machine in his chest and the walls, and uh, he stabs Colin with the box, and uh, Colin panics. Starts running. Trevor in tow. Is yeah. that right, man? You're gonna die. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <For> plot twist. <laughs> uh, Trevor dies. He gets lamented right up the chest. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is where we sort of find out about like the cage around the house and how it works because the the Cenobites are following him from the car ride and. They bring the doors down and they realize that uh, no one can get in. But unfortunately, they're trapped with Voight. And uh, (sighs) we get this little sort of diatribe by Voight where he's like, I was looking for all. (laughs) I was looking for the final pleasures of this universe and I called them for it and they gave me this vein machine. I I don't know why, but I just love the way he like retold the story. <laughs> like you'd think with someone who had like a nerve, like a liter- like an accordion in their body playing their nerves, like they wouldn't be so like I'm gonna explain my backstory. <laughs> but he <Yeah>. does. <laughs> One of those scenes that seemed a little weird. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing, like, what's her name being a sacrifice? You know, the secretary for Roland or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like you see her, like, one time pick up the puzzle box and then another time in the bar. Yeah. And then the next time you see her, she's fucking dying of cancer and, like, is being erratic about <laughs> taking the puzzle box. You're like, that didn't seem very necessary. <laughs> yeah, but... So so basically, um, what ends up happening here is that uh, Riley's boyfriend betrays the team and uh, 
is revealed that he is on Team Voight, and Voight steals the puzzle box and stabs um, Riley's brother's boyfriend (laughs) with the puzzle box as the final sacrifice. And this is where shit gets lit. This is like the part of the movie where I was like, yes. You it pans up to the clouds and you see the clouds turn dark and Leviathan comes down on top of this fucking mansion. <laughs> this is dope. This is where the little, the fucking mansion turns into the labyrinth. <laughs> it yes. Oh man. It's so fucking cool. Um so because um our boy Voight is in control of the box when the final sacrifice is made, he gets to make a second wish from the genie. And his wish is to undo his first wish. (laughs) And uh, I love the little conversation that the hell priest has with Voight over this. And she's just sort of like like befuddled by it. Like, you you would dare not accept our gift? (laughs) Like, she's just sort of, we thought that you sought pleasure. I guess we were wrong. There are no takebacks, only exchanges. <laughs> yeah, great line. That was a fucking great line. Uh, yeah, and uh, whew, uh, Riley steals back the box, unlocks the doors. The Cenobites come in. Shits. This is where it's like full pandemonium. Uh, and what Riley um, saves. She like how does this work? Um she like so so the final sacrifice was the brother's boyfriend, and this is where the well scene happened no. that you called out earlier, right? No, he survived. Right, right. Remember he was supposed he... to be the final sacrifice. Remember, he yeah. gets stabbed by Voight and he's running downstairs into the basement and that, that yeah, whole Trevor gets, uh, yeah. It's sacrifice instead. Right, right. So the, this is where that scene where you're calling out the well or the bad CG. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is when Roland so is he, getting taken. So he's getting chained up. He's about to die. And Roy, Riley comes down and <laughs> she's like, no, don't do it. And... uh they're like, this, the sacrifice has already been made. And she's like, no, take my fucking piece of shit boyfriend instead. <laughs> which which is kind of like on one hand, I can kind of see if someone were to call it contrived a little bit. Because it's just like, of course, he's conveniently there as the only bad guy left that she could do that to. But at the same time, it's kind of just like. I like I just like the the power that she was given by the female hell priest. <laughs> like I feel like our pinhead wasn't as lenient. You know what I mean? Like I feel no, like if no, this no, happened no, no, no. to Doug Bradley, Doug Bradley would be like, they "I'm taking you perished. all to hell now." Yeah, he's <laughs> like, yeah, the lot of you. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, the boyfriend you know gets dragged to hell with along with the best of them and uh then what um oh yeah then they tell Voight, uh it can't be revoked but we can trade it and uh, <laughs> we'll and, give you an audience with the butthole the universal butthole in the sky <laughs> yes and <laughs> and she offers him the power can um the power configuration the power choice whatever you want to call it and he accepts 
And the second he accepted, I'm like, oh, shit, because I just knew something insane was going to happen based on this choice. And um, comes to Cenobite. Yeah, well, does he, though? Um, I have a different kind of view on that, but we'll talk about it in a second. We're almost at the end. Uh, Voight, he's released and healed, (laughs) and then... (laughs) Then the Leviathan sends like a scorpion chain down from the Leviathan and grabs him and picks him up like it's an alien. Like, you know how you see UFOs beam people up with their fucking little light circles? (laughs) It was like the Leviathan did that with Scorpion's fucking chains. (laughs) It was fucking sick. Uh, Then, you know, so Cenobites... um, they tell Riley that she they can resurrect Matt, but then Riley's like, I know you'll send Matt back as like a fucking cannibalistic, necrophiliac, incestual zombie that's going to rape me and eat me. So no, you can keep him in hell. <laughs> and uh, then the, like this is another interesting part. Um, I don't remember. The, was it the Hell Priest or was it a Cenobite? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure... Yeah, it was the Hell Priest. This is where the Lament configuration comes in. She, because the, if you remember, the Lament configuration wasn't in the lore. It wasn't in the the bo- the, the journal, right? That was yeah. the only configuration left out. And the Hell Priest says, you've chosen the Lament configuration. You're choosing to live the life of a shitty, normal, you know, normie. <laughs> good good game we're out you, we're not interested in you anymore i i loved like the sort of attitude they gave her over it like they're they're not gonna kill her they're they're just like pitying her for being such a pussy <laughs> you're a bitch <laughs> another just great great scene in my opinion this, this screams whole... clive bar <laughs> yes um uh, uh, and then, so yeah, so basically that's the end of the movie, essentially. They leave the mansion, and they have their little, like, talk and chat as they leave, and then it pans out. You think the movie's over, but then we get our little bonus scene, where we go inside the Leviathan, and we see Voight. Now, you said he's being turned into a Cenobite. Maybe. May- I-, I think there's a good chance that's true. But I think he was being turned into a new hell priest. I mean, yeah. I I think, I think, okay, so this is totally conjecture. But I believe, based on my knowledge of Hellraiser, that when the hell priest fails, the way that this hell priest failed to get Riley, I think that they are thrown in the trash can and they're replaced. And I think Voight is the new hell priest that is going to replace the one we had in this movie. Could Mm. be either way. I could be totally off base with this, but that is how I felt when I was watching the scene. And that is the end broadcaster Nichols. Is it though? (laughs) The carnal pleasures never end. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, like I I like this movie a lot. 
there's very little about it I didn't like. There's just a few little nagging small things, especially towards the beginning. But man, once this movie got going, it just like, it was just scene after scene of just some really badass shit and stuff that, and part of it is because I've watched all the Hellraiser movies and I'm very familiar with how bad they've gotten recently. So like watching this movie was shocking. Because of how bad some of the previous movies have been. Maybe you don't have that same feeling and that's going to give you a different perspective on the movie than me. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't choose, I choose not to watch bad films, so. Well, you don't know they're bad until you watch them, man. Come on. Yeah, I know about 10, 15 minutes in, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave that going. social media Hellraiser way too much time in my life. You're right about that. Social media I, Hellraiser. I forgot that's what it was about. I knew that one was going to be bad. About puzzle 10. Box <laughs> app. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, man. How could I forget? <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, I guess, what do you think about that whole ending sequence? I thought it was well. This, I think it's him becoming a Cenobite for sure. I, I, I thought it was pretty dope too because it kind of reminded me of like, uh, Destiny with the fucking, the Traveler Orb. <laughs> you know, he's like <laughs> finally got accepted into the Orb. It's like, the R-rated version. He got turned into an angel. <sighs> yeah power it's like fucking evangelion dude you just you don't realize what angels are yeah i mean okay uh, i don't know man like the fact that that it's called uh, yeah i don't know that you're right like there's so much that goes into it because like they call it the power configuration and it's like are cenobites really powerful or is the hell priest powerful what is power anyway like what do we even know of what power is we have like this idea in our human forms, what we think power means. But what is power on a celestial scale? It's it's interesting. I, I don't know. But you could be right about that. Law. <laughs> <laughs> well, his eyes turned blue and shit like he became like... Uh, that's like the thing. Ascended, you know, that's, like. what I'm, that's another reason why I think that. The Cenobites don't have glowing blue eyes. They don't? I can go back. Not that I've ever seen. I've never seen. So I've never, ever seen a Cenobite with glowing blue eyes. And I've never really seen a Hell Priest with glowing blue eyes, except for some comic books. Now, that's where things get a little squirrely. And that's why I'm not like super sold on my theory here is because what's really making me think this is true is based on comic book material, which I'm not even sure if Clyde Barker had anything to do with. But I have seen pictures, and the funny thing is, one of them was a female hell priest with glowing blue Mm. eyes in a comic book. So, like, as soon as I saw it, and then it's like this movie has a female hell priest in it on top of it. So it's just these compounding factors. I'm just like, oh, fuck, they turned him into a hell priest. Interesting. But, uh... But yeah, what what I meant about the ending was just like generally the ending, not that one scene at the end. Like, what did you think about the whole way it went down with Riley and her choice and 
the way it played out with the deaths and with her saving the the gay boyfriend of her brother and all that, and then and choosing not to resurrect well, that was, him, all that stuff. That was very high ESG score of them. But <laughs> other than that, like it was cool. It was, you know wasn't very typical like horror film ending. You know where like it's just like a lone survivor and they like you know are just walking away from a disaster. Yeah, like there was some cool like exploration of like why this shit happens you know every movie you know like why the Cenobites are actually what they are it seemed like there was a slow build up to something bigger maybe next movie you know instead of it just being this one off like Hell or Hellraiser 2 was you know yeah so hopefully that's that's where it's going that's what it felt like yeah 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 Yep. Well, all I have to say is thank you, Mickey Mouse, for allowing Clive Barker a seat at the table because Clive Barker gave us a Disney princess we can all get behind. (laughs) And I never in a thousand years ever thought I was going to get a new Hellraiser movie like this. I thought from now on there's either going to be no Hellraiser or there's going to be fucking social media (laughs) Hellraiser. Like, that's what I thought the future of Hellraiser was. I didn't think there was going to be any return to form. And this, to me, at the very least, was a true return to form. No doubt. I I'll really... say that. I think three Hellraiser movies in my life. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, no doubt. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you've... Have you watched any of the old Hellraiser movies recently? No. You should rewatch the original trilogy, man. You'll be surprised. They'll be better than you remember them. But, uh... What do you mean by that? (laughs) I mean, like... Most of my viewings of the original Hellraiser trilogy took place from when I was, like, ages 7 to 15. Um, I never watched them much as an adult, and I watched the original trilogy... In Blu-ray. So, like, I didn't even... I never even saw the original movies in HD. I watched them all on VHS a hundred times. And I went back and I downloaded the... Or I... I purchased the Blu-rays of the original Hellraiser trilogy. And, uh... I was stunned at how much more I got out of them as an adult. Like, I... Like, they were better than I remembered them. I... I think it's just, uh... If you're you're dark on horror right now, and, and there's a good reason to be. Horror is not in a good space. Uh, there's a lot of gore porn. There's a lot of trash. Um, taking a step back and going to check out that original trilogy will might reignite your love for horror again. Listen, dude, I got to play Callisto Protocol. All right, dude. I got no time for that. All right, broadcaster. As you know, here in the Crack Cellar, we have a official patented Ghostbusters rating system. And uh, on that system, how would you rate the 2022 reboot of Hellraiser? Giving it an equity gozer. <laughs> what? <laughs> an equity? Damn. A strong equity, dude. Are you kidding me? An equity gozer. We had a female lead. Equity. We had a gay boyfriend scene. Punish the white guy. Notice that one? 
Kept the black at one. Notice that. Uh, what else? What else can I point out? Uh, all female Cenobites. <laughs> hey, that Mom. biter! That biter had a cock. I know he did. Who knows, dude? We'll never know. <laughs> and guess what? He was the only Cenobite to get sacrificed. <laughs> oh shit! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, dude. <laughs> white boyfriend ends up being a bad guy. Mm. Um, I mean, it's just it's compounding. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I'm not going to give it the highest score because, again, I don't watch a lot of these films and I don't really know how to really compare it properly. But I will say it's it's a really good movie. I enjoyed it, especially for a horror film. Usually I'll just not watch. I'll usually just avoid these. But the trailer itself got me interested just because of how good it looked. Yeah. All right. You know. Hey, that's cool. That's uh, it's your opinion, and you're entitled to it, Broadcaster Nichols. Um, I think this is a post. I think this is a post-op boogeyman. You know, it doesn't, doesn't have the cock anymore. But convincing, he can still open the closet door. Okay, that's that's all I'm saying. And with that, we'll close out. Thank you.